Hello and welcome to Unframed, conversations about the arts on CFCR 90.5 FM in Saskatoon and streaming live around the world at cfcr.ca. I'm your host, Michael Peterson. It's FMphasis time here at CFCR, so before I get to my guest, Jay White, a little bit of information about what we're asking of you. FMphasis will run until Friday, October 2nd, and it's essential to CFCR's survival as it accounts for up to 20% of our annual operating budget. A substantial portion of the money raised this year will go to upgrading our computers, a new board for the control room, upgrades to our website, the development of a mobile phone app, and the digitization of the music library. Our campaign goal this year is $70,000, which is an aggressive goal and why we're really asking your support. If you would like to make a donation to CFCR, you're welcome to go to our website, cfcr.ca, or give us a call at 664-6678 we have volunteers standing by to accept your donations. Beginning at only the $10 level, you'll start to receive awards. At that $10, you'll receive an off-the-charts magnet. For $25, you get your choice of a CD or gift certificate from our prize list and your first entry into the grand prize draw. $75 gets you the limited edition CFCR off-the-charts FMSIS t-shirt, your choice of more prizes from the fabulous prize list, and entry into both grand prize draws one and two. $150 gets you the CFCR 5-panel hat, as well as the aforementioned prizes. $250 gets you entry into all four grand prize draws, as well as the previously mentioned rewards. Again, FMSIS runs until October 2nd, and we really do rely on your support to continue the programming here at CFCR, so please do consider making a donation. With me today, I have Jay White, a Vancouver-based artist who has come into Saskatoon to work with a project that I'm involved in, Finding City. Jay's project is looking at urban wildlife, specifically coyotes and other animals that share our habitat, trying to ask how Saskatoon is a shared habitat and how we can coexist with these other beings. Well, hi, Jay. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, Michael. So if you want to first, you know, give a bit of introduction for yourself. Okay. I'm an artist living in on Bowen Island, which is a small island about 20 minutes north of Vancouver. I tend to call myself a Vancouver-based artist, but I think it's probably important to make that distinction because it's a bit more of a rural area. And I like having that connection to the wildlife, etc. there. It's kind of kind of nice. What else about myself? Uh, my family is from the East Coast, so um, living in Vancouver is not really what I would consider my home. And I think often my work has to do with that, those issues of having a distance from home or, or wondering where home is, etc. Well, you mentioned your work, and you still work in a field quite different than the project that you are coming to Saskatoon to perform here. Right, yeah. So, yeah, kind of on my second art life, I think. I was a short film animator. I worked in actually video games and TV for a long time and then went to making my own short films and was fairly successful at that, winning awards, etc. But I kind of got to a point where I was asking, I think this is sort of like the, a midlife crisis and art crisis at the same time where I was asking myself, well, where, where do you want to be, Jay, in 20 years? Like in, when you're 50, when you're 60, if you keep on this path of making animated short films, are you, is this going to be something that you were, that's sustaining you, not in a, maybe a financial way, but in a way where you feel rewarded by the work you're doing? And, and I, I, I didn't have an answer to that. So I kind of um, did a lot of reevaluation in the kind of work I was making. And uh, 
I, I think I went, I went more towards looking at the way, and I, I, a lot of my work was about um, ecology and about, about ecological issues, even in animated filmmaking as well, and telling narratives about that. But I, I think I had to go into actually examining the way that I was living and behaving in the world and going like, is this, so I'm, I'm talking the talk, but am I walking the walk of how to deal with our environment, how I can change the way that I'm acting in my environment in order to maybe bring about change in others. And I think so I've, I've kind of gone back in this path where it's like it has to do with myself and my actions first. Certainly. And so it started to move away from the studio. And you, you mentioned this idea of comfort and discomfort and moving toward Coyote Walk, which is a project that you've performed a few times, in, including in Saskatoon here. In many ways, it is about putting yourself in places that aren't necessarily comfortable as you would have thought them in that previous art life. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I think there's a... I've always, I'm a, I've always liked camping, and I've always liked trespassing and putting myself in awkward situations. But I also think there's... I kind of hit on this, this sort of method that works in a lot of my in a lot of a lot of my projects which is to put myself in in different to behave differently in order to understand the world differently and that tends to be um, to involve setting up parameters for myself that make me spend not just a few minutes or not just a few hours but multiple days in in very different situations perceiving and participating with my surroundings in very different ways in order to get a, a different experience or a different perspective that might be a nice lead-in to talk about some of the parameters that you are setting up for yourself. So, as we mentioned, one of the projects that you've worked on is Coyote Walk, and you performed this twice in Vancouver before coming to Saskatoon. Can you take our listeners through a bit of what it means when you're on a Coyote Walk and some of the experiences that have resulted? Yeah, sure. I started out with an invitation, and this invitation kind of has these 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 rules that I set on it. I think it's probably important to start with just so people can understand what the deal is. Sure, sure. So I, I set up these parameters. The, the basic thing is that I'm trying to stay... In Saskatoon, I did this for two days. In Vancouver, I've done it for three days each time, or tried to do it for three days. And the basic parameter, the basic idea is that I'm trying to stay hidden from people for two or three days in the city. So it's a way for me to... And I, I became interested in that because I was interested in coyotes as an urban animal that's very successful, a wild animal that lives in urban environments that is, um, is really abundant actually in a lot of cities in North America, but remains largely invisible, especially for a mammal that size. I find that really, really intriguing. So I was like, okay, well, what can I do to, to see if I can do that? Can, I, can a person, can an animal of human size be, be hidden in a city? So basically all I'm doing is trying to stay away from people for three days. I have my backpack and food and um, camping gear and my tent that I put a camouflage tarp over to remain hidden. I usually move in the nighttime like other animals and then stay hidden and sleep in the day and camp when people are out because that would be difficult to move at that time. And then at the same time I also invite people to track me. So I have my my smartphone on me with a GPS tracking app and then if you want you're invited to come out and and track me and try to take photographs of me but at the same time respecting my privacy so I'm kind of asking people to to understand that I'm out there and to to negotiate that power they have over me of being able to put me under surveillance basically and know where I am but also respect that I'm trying to remain hidden and and give me a little bit of space at the same time. So for participants then it becomes an opportunity not to necessarily view an artwork but to actually become part of one and to start to change their own perceptions and perspectives through the experience of respectfully joining you. You said it. Hey. So you spoke about the 
need to set up parameters and that at the start of this project it wasn't about trying to find coyotes or track coyotes but that by setting up similar parameters to how they move through cities you've ended up coming across them and starting to interact with them more than you had previously. Yeah, I think what ends up happening for me is I'm um, kind of like you just something you, you previously mentioned, which is the people, the participants are the ones who are creating images in this work. But something that has emerged for me is the stories, particularly one story that came from the first time I did this project in Vancouver. So I yeah, I named the project Coyote Walk just because I was interested in coyotes as an urban animal. But what ended up happening was on the first walk, very early on, I was I tried to move through the city um, too early at night. I was walking around at like six or seven at night and um, realized that I was going to get caught very quickly by people. There's people driving home from work or walking their dogs, etc. So I had to run back into this forested area that was close to where I was in this neighborhood. And I came around this school and a coyote was standing there staring at me which was a shocker to me. I didn't expect to meet any coyotes actually. And then the, there, a light came on in the back of the school and it, there was some noise, like a janitor I think was coming outside to empty some trash or something. And so the coyote ran off into the woods and I ran off into the woods as well. And I ended up waiting on sort of on the periphery of this forest um, on the edge of this neighborhood, waiting to re-enter the, re-enter the neighborhood and get across the city. And I could hear this coyote and another one actually moving behind and around me on the same periphery. Probably they're, they're, they hunt in plains and meadows, so they're probably waiting to get out of the forest and go hunting in the fields and soccer fields, etc. that night. So it just sort of struck me that, yeah, I was, by taking on these same parameters, I was starting to overlap. My, my behavior was starting to put me in the same situations as, as them. So it was really interesting. I'm not, I can't say that I have the same perspective as a coyote, but I do think that it puts me in the same spaces. And in fact, that night I met probably seven coyotes, I would say, or more. I, this wow. is a point where I couldn't even count how many there were. So, I mean, and I probably only saw two or three in my entire decade of living in Vancouver. So it really put me in the same space as, as this other animal. It's really interesting. Well, and you mentioned that one of the parameters of the project is that if a human is to come across you or to become reasonably close that they could capture you, that you're going to end the project, which is part of that respectful participation. But that hasn't happened so far, but you have come reasonably close to coyotes. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, it's funny. And, and this this time, I, this third Saskatoon iteration of Coyote Walk, I've started to, when I think about how close I can get to people, I'm starting to relate it to how close I've been to coyotes. Like if a car drives past me really fast and I'm on the side of the highway, is that okay? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I've driven past an animal like that and been like, oh, look, an animal. And I feel like that's okay now. So I'm starting to judge my distance from people as being acceptable in terms of how I've been, how I've seen that with other animals. But yeah, the first on that same first walk, what ended up happening was the second night that I tried to, or the second day that I tried to camp, the only place that I could, I spent a few hours actually in this golf course looking for a place to sleep and actually had a ton of interactions with coyotes in this golf course. I won't get into the full details because it takes like 10 minutes to get to go through, but <laughs> it was, there was enough coyotes in this golf course that I, was, I had picked up a sand trap rake and was wielding it like I was holding it just, just to feel safe. And I, f- I think that's really interesting that you know, a, a place where us humans feel really comfortable and think about it as an entirely human space, we don't imagine that a different time of day in the night, it could be so occupied by a different kind of animal that we could feel uncomfortable and unsafe in the middle of a city. 
this golf course that I was in is right in the middle of Vancouver. So that, that was really interesting to me, just to think of territory. I've always thought that, okay, yeah, the forest is the territory of, another, of, of these other animals. But t- territory is also uh, time-based as well. When, when, it, when day shifts to night, other animals sort of take over the city environments is the way I see it now. But what ended up happening was I, I was looking for a place to sleep and I spent a few hours in this golf course looking for a good place. And at any one point I could always see a pair of eyes. I have my headlamp on, I could always see a pair of eyes looking at me. So I knew there was always coyotes present sort of watching me as I was moving through this golf course. And I finally found this uh, bunch of blackberry bushes that were surrounding a cedar tree and found a way in and there was a bit of a path I could get in. I thought, okay, if I could stay in there for the day, I don't think I don't think any golfer is going to go into that area and I could probably hide out there all day. So I, I found a little bit of a path in and I had to, eventually it got more tight and I had to kind of crawl and get down lower and it became more distinct until it was actually, it looked like a tunnel. And I realized that I was crawling into a coyote den, which makes total sense and it freaked me out at the time. And it, but it makes total sense because of course the one place where I would, where people, I would spend all this time trying to, where I thought that people wouldn't be, would be the same place that an urban animal would would want to feel safe, right? So I started to think that, you know, perhaps this, I would be absolutely interfering with these animals if I stayed and continued to do the project for starters, but also if I, perhaps any place in the city where we would, uh, someone would feel safe sleeping during the day would be already occupied by another being. And in my experience, that's, it, it, it's actually really tough to find a place to sleep in the city where there's not another, another person or another animal. And in fact, when I crawled out of, when I realized this with this coyote den, I actually crawled out and was taking some photos and a, a coyote ended up coming up right behind me at one point. So I turned around, there was a coyote standing there right behind me. And I just sort of thought, well, you know what? I, I said that only people can catch me, but this coyote basically caught me in exactly this, the way that I imagined that a person would that would end the project. And I just thought, well, why, why is this only, why am I only asking for human participation? Why shouldn't I honor the the agency of these other animals as well. So that kind of ended the project. And that's sort of a larger story that I tell that I think is really important to tell around this project now. And it speaks to the relationships that we have with these other beings and the fact, and you're respecting that being as not an equal, but as a participant, more so than just, well, that was an animal that wasn't a human, it doesn't count. Yeah, I think it sort of, I'm interested in keeping, maybe leveling up the hierarchy between humans and other animals and beings. I think it's also important for me to think about what's important about art making. Is it more important just to keep doing this project so that I keep getting attention from, you know, should I have gone another day so more people were tracking me? Or is the is it more important to say that something else is more important than the art or that the ethics should be involved and, and the larger discussion should come around the, the, the project? And you spoke about not needing to create a heroic narrative out of this practice too. Right, yeah, there's a, yeah, sort of like... I set up these parameters, but I think they're very loose, they're loose, soft parameters, and they're there to negotiate with. Once I begin a project, I think it's, I always think that this could end any time, and, and it's, it's about a sort of a practice of listening while I'm, while I'm out there doing things and being, and going like, am I being respectful while I'm doing this? Am I constantly asking myself if I'm, if I'm, if this is hurtful in any way or if it should stop for any reason. And I think that's that narrative of sensitivity and of listening and respect is, is way more interesting to me than the narrative of endurance. So you, you speak about this notion of listening and yeah. it has to, and the notion of listening deeply and experiencing. And part of what intrigued me and one of the reasons I really wanted the opportunity for you to come here was from, for us to be able to hear and learn from that experience. I'm wondering on your end, 
some of what's sort of intrigued you about coming to Saskatoon or why you want to expand this project outside of Vancouver? Okay, yeah, thanks. Um, I guess uh, there's a few things. One is the in terms of the question of a an art practice, I'm really curious about how I can translate this this work and and other projects I do which, that are really specific to certain to a certain landscape and places where I'm living, how I can bring that to somewhere else and do that respectfully as is the first question. So how I can engage with a different community um, and basically parachute in. And I think that in the art world, there is a, there's a lot of movement that happens with artists showing in other places. And as, as social practice and as, as community-based work becomes more of a part of the art realm, I think that there's, in my under, in my world at least, I think it's important to start considering, so what does it mean for us to parachute into a, a place and engage in some kind of social community-based practice? And I would say that my social practice involves a, not just a human social, but a, a more than human social that involves animals, etc. So I think the first, the first interest for me is in working through those challenges of being respectful, of coming to a new place and having not having local, local knowledge and how do, how do I approach that in a good way. And the second, I guess, is that this is, Coyote Walk is just a, is, is, is one of a few events that I'm doing here over the week, including a few talks and meetings with, with really great people and ecologists, including ecologists and ecological artists, etc., in the city, and a roundtable discussion on Sunday, this coming Sunday, that are working towards a longer project. And I think this is sort of one of the answers to how to parachute in, which is to not just parachute in, but spend more time. So throughout this week, myself and of course with you, Michael, are it's this is kind of like a, a week of of research and getting to know people. And Cowdy Walk for me was a little bit of getting to know the landscape and getting to know it from my perspective a, a little bit about this place, in the hopes of um, with the intention of having a at least year-long project that starts to talk about the interactions between humans and urban wildlife in Saskatoon. That's great and as you mentioned there are a few other projects you'll be participating in and we'll provide the full information at the end of the show. I would just like to just jump into it then and sort of ask you, you, ha- you did participate as you mentioned in a coyote walk where you starting Sunday night and ending early Tuesday morning you camped and moved around outside in Saskatoon and I'm wondering if you can speak a uh, I start to share a bit of that experience and I know it's soon after and it takes a process of reflection but start to talk about what you learned from that experience. Yeah sure yeah this will be this will be pretty rough because it is I'm still sort of processing it but I think talking about it is also the in talking about it a story a refined story starts to come out so this is the second time this has been that I've reflected on this so it'll be rough but it's the beginnings of whatever this story of this walk is first i, I guess I, I went along the riverbank for a fair a number of hours the first night and encountered a lot of beavers which probably i don't know if that's a surprise to people but there's an awful lot of beavers along the riverbank and slept for the first night south of the city on the other side of the circle road and then the i actually didn't bring I think a theme in this walk was discomfort. I think that's always actually a theme, but I because it's so fresh, I remember now how uncomfortable it is to do this and how really intense it is. And every time I do this walk, I'm like, I don't know anybody who would want to ever do this with me because it's so awful. <laughs> but the but I think the I think that intensity is really important because I seem to learn things. Certain things seem to I don't know. Maybe it's a it's a certain number amount of commitment that I have to engage in. If it was easy, I don't think it would be as important to me. Maybe. And what ended up happening this time was that I didn't pack enough food and water, basically. And uh, I spent the second night really actually being quite thirsty. And I 
I bought these two tins of mussels at the Savon or I don't look at it. Saskatchewan at, at, seafood. Yeah, Saskatchewan seafood. Don't don't go there. <laughs> no, I, it was tin though. It should have been okay, but there was something there was something funky about the seafood, and I got a little bit of just mild mild food poisoning. I didn't know if it was going to get worse, but I was really having a rough time with my stomach. I thought I was going to vomit for a long time, and I also needed to charge. A big part of it that goes unnoticed from the outside perspective is that I'm constantly needing to charge my smartphone and the batteries that I'm using to keep people to allow people to track me so I was this constant interplay between remaining hidden finding a place to sleep and also finding power sort of like scavenging scavenging powder power through the city so I ended up sleeping behind the Walmart in the middle of the night for a few hours and feeling kind of sick and really really thirsty found some water at a community garden they had just they just turned off the I guess because it was a, it was below zero that night maybe with their first night so they had just emptied out their hose so right. I was like oh community garden there's gonna be some water there but the hose was emptied I turned on the tap and there was water came out and I was like yes yes and I pulled out my my water bottle but I could see that the pressure was draining out they had turned off the tap and there's just this residual pressure left so I managed to barely get a mug of water and, and put that down and that was like ah oh, we could last the night on that mug of water and I ended up coming out to the riverbank back on the north side of the city and felt really, it was like, ah, this is nice and restful again. The city was really, it was really tough moving through the city. And it, it really underscored for me how, how much more stressful it is to be in the city and, and trying to hide and move as, as opposed to being on the outskirts. So anyways, I, I was sitting down by the shore and I put up my tarp and my sleeping bag. And I just thought, okay, I'm going to lay down here and just have a nice rest. It's beautiful down here. The sun was about to come up. And then I heard a beaver slapping its tail on the water and just, you know, just, I was irritated because I was there and I sat up and watched him for quite a while and he was just sort of circling in front of me and slapping his tail and I was, I looked around and I realized that I was right on his, there was all kinds of paths and I was probably sitting right where his, his burrow was probably very close to me and he couldn't get back into his burrow. And again, very similar, similarly to the Vancouver walk, I sort of realized like, of course, this is a place where these beings sleep and probably every place that I try to would try to sleep in the city is going to be occupied by another, by another animal. But what ended up happening was, and then I saw, I, I was like, I saw a bunch of other beavers coming. Like I saw all these dark shapes coming at me over the, over the, over the river behind this other beaver, like supporting it. And uh, they ended up to be ducks, but they all kind of like came with this beaver and uh, muskrat also came out into the water and for a moment they were all kind of looking they're all looking at me and i just felt like they the strong message i got from from these from these animals was that that this is not my home and i think that's sort of a theme and I, we've talked about it already in this in this conversation but i think there's something in that that i need to remember in working outside of my home and, and, and I think is a big part of my own practice, which is my, my family's from Newfoundland, but I've never lived there. So a big part of my practice is that this is not my home. So how do I, how do I engage in places and acknowledging that this isn't, isn't, isn't where I should live or isn't, isn't my home? And I, I, one other thing I want to say about that is that I've, I've discovered that whenever th there's a lesson that I learn from a landscape, it's, I thought about this right after this happened. It, it's, it's, if you learn something from the land, I think, I think it's it's not subtle. You're going to know when you learn a, when you learn a lesson, and it's, it happens to me every time. Like like I don't just see a raven; I see a raven, and then a deer staring at me, and then there's a bunch of feathers at my feet, and it's like uh, you get slapped on the face and told a lesson. And so when this when this beaver was there, and suddenly there was these ducks and this muskrat all at once, it was like, no, you have to know this. So that was sort of, I'm not sure what to, what to take out of that right now, but that was what I needed to, what I needed to learn on this walk.
well, somehow. Well, thank you, Jay. And unfortunately, due to time, we'll have to end it there. But as you mentioned, a large part of this project isn't just about your own experiences, but about building relationships and creating opportunities for others to share theirs. You'll be performing at Nuit Blanche. You'll be showing a projection there. And at 9.15, you're going to be participating in a roundtable discussion where you're inviting others to share their stories about urban wildlife as well. 9.15 on the corner of Avenue E and 20th Street there at Nuit Blanche. And then the following morning as the wrap-up to your project here, you'll be uh, hosting a talk at the 220 in their common area. Yeah. Where this will be with two other ecologists, Candace Savage from Wild About Saskatoon and Kathleen Aiken from the University of Saskatchewan. And you're going to be talking there, again, about these experiences, but really starting to imagine and wonder at what these experiences can start to mean, what a project, can, what type of project long-term, as you mentioned, can start to build out of those experiences. So, Yeah, and I think something really important to mention about this is that it's not about having expertise, it's about having an interest. So this is something that's open to, to anybody of any age, if you if you're interested you can either i don't know i'm not sure how you could contact well what we can do is to say if you are interested in this project what you can do is go to findingcity.ca/coyotewalk you'll find the information there for jay and for the project or you can send jay an email directly at the coyotewalk at gmail.com or show up at the 220 at 11 a.m. on sunday and really please come out and join that discussion so Thank you for coming in, Jay, and, and starting and bringing the start of this project and these conversations here. Thanks a lot, Michael. This is, it's really great, and thanks for being such an excellent host. Well, thank you, Jay. I'll take this time to remind you once more that we are in the middle of F- emphasis where we ask for donations to continue to support the programming here at CFCR. We have over a thousand prizes for you to choose from, and donors of $25 or more receive approximately half of their donations back in the form of gift certificates or prizes donated by a number of businesses throughout Saskatoon. At $10, you receive an off-the-charts magnet. $25 gives you your choice of a CD or gift certificate from our prize list, as well as entry into the first grand prize draw. $75 gets you the CFCR off-the-charts F-emphasis t-shirt, your choice of more prizes, as well as entry into Grasm prize draw number two. $150 gives you a limited edition CFCR five-panel hat, the t-shirt, the magnet, more CDs and gift certificates, and entry into grand prize draws. And finally, $250 gives you entry into all four grand prize draws, as well as the aforementioned rewards. Now, you might be asking, what are the prize draws? Well, Doug Spoken Sport is giving us an $800 shopping spree. That's grand prize draw number one. Grand prize draw number two is Escape Sports Surf Tech Balboa Stand Up Paddleboard, valued at $1,200. Grand prize draw number three is from St. John's Music. It's a Dakota Red Fender Mustang guitar and frontman 10G amp, again valued at $1,000. And finally, grand prize draw number four is a still life oil painting by local artist Hugo Alvarado, appraised at a value of $5,300. Lastly, there's an early bird prize draw. The All Shop is offering a two-piece Briggs & Riley luggage set valued at $1,000 or more. And all pledges of $25 or more paid before October 2nd at 5 p.m. will be entered into the early bird draw. Again, we're mentioning this because we really do rely on your donations to continue our programming here at CFCR. Please do consider making a donation. You can do so by going to cfcr.ca or by giving us a call at 664-6678. 
Again, my name is Michael Peterson. You've been listening to Unframed Radio on CFCR 90.5 FM in Saskatoon and around the world at cfcr.ca. Thank you.